Volume One, Chapter Eight of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith, Volume One, Chapter Eight. Celestina though more unwilling than ever to go, had prescribed to herself in her cooler moments a line of conduct, from which, feeling it her duty to adhere to it, she now determined not to depart. In arguing with herself on its propriety and straightening her faltering resolution, she passed the night. At four o'clock the servant who was commissioned to awaken her came to her door, she arose and dressed herself by candlelight the morning was cold and dark every object appeared dreary and forlorn she hurried on her clothes however and endeavoured to drive away every recollection that might enfeeble her spirits too much but as she passed the door of the drawing-room she remembered that it was there she had seen willoughby perhaps for the last time and almost involuntarily she went in, and by the light of her solitary candle contemplated a whole-length picture of him which had just been finished for his sister. The likeness was so strong, by the wavering and uncertain light that fell upon it, she almost fancied he was about to speak to her. She started at the idea, and feeling a fort of chilly terror, at the silence and obscurity of everything around her she turned away and hastened to the servant who had prepared her tea in the parlour she had however hardly time to drink it before the hackney coach which had been ordered the night before was at the door and having seen what little baggage she had not before sent put into it she stepped in herself and was soon a distance from the residence of mrs molyneux from the friend of her early years and was launched alone and unprotected into a world of which she had yet seen nothing but through the favourable medium lent by affluence and prosperity to those who from thence contemplate difficulties they are never likely to encounter and calamities they probably never can participate that a young woman who might still have enjoyed those indulgences should renounce them at an age when they have so many charms that celestina who had been educated with so much delicacy and accustomed since her first recollection to every indulgence, should thus voluntarily enter on a life of comparative hardship and deprivation may appear improbable, but when it is added that she quitted the man to whom she had so long been fondly attached, and leaving him to her fortunate rival, devoted herself to a life of solitude and regret such an effort of heroism in a woman not yet quite nineteen might be classed among impossibilities were it related of any other than celestina 
but her character was an uncommon one though she had always been told by mrs willoughby that her birth was very uncertain and that nothing was known of it but that it was disgraceful to her parents since they had taken such pains to conceal it she felt within herself a conscientious of hereditary worth an innate pride which would never suffer her to believe herself descended from mean and unworthy persons her open and commanding countenance where sat dignity mingled with sweetness her nymph-like and graceful form which might have rivalled the models of grecian art were advantages of which though she was not vain of them she could not be insensible and if she had any foible a perfect character it has been said must not be represented because it cannot exist if she had any foible it was carrying a little too far though she carefully concealed it that sort of pride which seemed born with her and which after all that has been said against it is often especially in a young and beautiful woman a fortunate defect the circumstances of her birth had seldom been touched upon in the family for it was a topic which could not be but painful to her but if ever anything relating to it had been accidentally introduced when mrs willoughby was conversing with her three children as she often termed willoughby matilda and celestina willoughby would say laughingly that it was impossible she could be born of french parents her mother had been sometimes half angry at this assertion in which however he usually persisted asserting with prejudice that she declared to be entirely english that no native of the south of france ever had a complexion or a form like hers after she grew up though these perfections became more eminent willoughby never appeared to notice them with the improvement of her form her mind kept pace and as it acquired every day more strength she gradually became more sensible of her obligation to her benefactress but while she indulged her gratitude towards the friend on whom she depended she felt that she was not born to be dependent this elevation of spirit now supported her and the consciousness she was acting right blunted for a while the poignancy of that pain which she too sensibly felt in tearing herself from willoughby obliged to act for herself having no breast on which she could with propriety lean her naturally exalted soul acquired new firmness before which trifling inconveniences disappeared and with an heart occupied by the beloved image of willoughby and the sacrifice she was making for him she hardly remembered that she had never in her life been in a stage-coach before till she found herself seated in one under the dark gateway of an inn in the city at five o'clock in a dreary winter morning two female passengers had already taken their places one of whom expressed great anxiety for a number of hat-boxes 
and caravan trunks which the people belonging to the inn were placing in different parts of the coach while the lady particularly recommended to their care one box which she assured them contained her new laylock bonnet an article for the safety of which she was so solicitous that she would have taken the great machine in which it was contained into the coach had it not been opposed by the coachman and presently after by a man who had been drinking with him and who now preparing to enter the coach protested vehemently against this whim of his sister mary's who'd ye think will be scruffed and crammed up cried he with your confounded trumpery no no such thing here danielle prithee take and stow it somewhere or another it shall not enter the couch i be sworn the man then placed himself by the side of the other female passenger opposite celestina and appeared to be anxious for his own ease and his sister was for the safety of her wardrobe the coach moved on but it was still quite dark and silence prevailed for the first four or five miles interrupted only by some fretful expressions from the lady of the bandboxes at the inconveniences to which people were subjected by going in stage coaches and some exclamations against the unfortunate dampness of the morning which she declared would certainly penetrate the covering and entirely spoil her laylock bonnet which she said cost her three guineas the more fool you cried the brother who was of a character celestina had never had an opportunity of seeing before that of a country tradesman affecting to be a wit and a buck the more fool you sister mary what do you think a three-guinea bonnet will make you look three years younger no no take my word for it your flounces and fringes and fur barrels serve for no purpose at all but to shrew your wrinkles wrinkles repeated the lady disdainfully what do you mean john jewin i declare you are so rude and disagreeable i always repent travelling with you i wish you would find another subject egad answered jewin i cannot have a worse than your wrinkles that's true enough and upon my soul added he looking confidently in the face of celestina and then in that of the other female passenger who though pale and thin was very young and very pretty here is two better subjects one aside of me and the other opposite no no sister of mine now day breaks a little and lets a body see how the land lays you'll hear no more about your wrinkles for as hamlet says let me see a eh? here's that metal that's more attractive a eh, miss celestina to whom this hey miss was addressed who had till now been very little aware of the species of rudeness and impertinence to which her mode of travelling might subject her was shocked and alarmed at this address from a person who had he seen her a few days before would have approached her with awe and spoken to her with dissidence 
she remained silent however casting a look on the man sufficiently expressive of the contempt she felt for him but he was not of a humour to be easily daunted or repulsed and without seeming to understand her began with purse-proud pertness to relate as if it was a narrative which all the world should be informed of that he was a grocer and chandler at exeter in a very flourishing trade and in partnership with a gentleman who had married one of his sisters and this laylock bonnet lady continued he is my eldest sister who has been visiting this half year and better an old aunt of ours at camberwell she is an old maid herself but devilish rich and from a sort of fellow feeling you know she intends to make our mary here her heir the old girl must hop the perch soon or all her money won't get her dear niece a husband it's my opinion unless may be an irishman or a strolling player this second attack on herself and her visible admiration of celestina's beauty completed the ill-humour of his sister who with a look where anger and scorn contented for preeminence remained silently swelling while the factitious traitor again addressed himself to celestina what do you never make talking come since now you have a history of me let's hear a little who you are and where you are bound to sir replied celestina it is impossible that either can be of any consequence to you how are you sure of that cried mr jedwin with a loud laugh now i think nothing is more likely than that we may be better acquainted tis nothing now i believe for a young man of spirit as well as the world i am to take a fancy to a pretty woman a fancy exclaimed miss mary jewin with great acrimony a fancy jack jewin i am amazed at you and why amaze my ancient spinster retorted he what the devil i am my own master i hope to be sure you are some fifteen or twenty years older than me but what of that so much the worse for you i hope i ain't to be governed by a duenna what a plague mayn't i talk to a handsome girl i wonder without you putting your squinny gut opinion if you intend to insult me answered the lady trying to hide under the appearance of a calm contempt her great disposition to cry if you intend to insult me i am sure i heartily wish i had got the better of my fears and travelled alone in a post chay for no rudeness as i might have met on the road could be worse than yours that's your gratitude now cried jedwin for my coming up clear from exeter to fetch you at a time when i had no business in london nor should a had for these six weeks that your thanks for my kindness and for listening to your nonsensical fears and frights rude to you o lord as if any mortal man who has eyes 
would ever look at you twice no mary make yourself easy that weazen winterly visage of yours is faithguard enough if you were to travel from here to jericho he then began to mimic his sister and enlarge the terrors to which she was he said perpetually subject lest some sad daring rake of a man should carry her away and had he been less gross and disgusting celestina would hardly have forborne a smile at some part of the ludicrous representation he gave of this apprehensive delicacy and trembling nicety for which she could not in the personal attractions of miss jejuin find any reasonable grounds for she was very tall very thin and very yellow her long scraggly neck appeared hardly adequate to the support of a head where art had so redundantly been called in aid of nature that it seemed to abound in shining black hair nicely curled without powder which was suffered to wanton over her forehead and flow down her back while a little white beaver hat perched on one side was meant to give her countenance that bewitching archness which she had observed that mode of headdress to bestow on young and lovely mr jedwin having exhausted all his immediate stock of wit on his sister now left her to digest the indignation he had raised and applied himself again to celestina having no idea that anything but money bestowed consequence and having lived the greater part of his time among those who had less of it than himself he had never been accustomed to allow any superiority nor could he comprehend how a young woman so humbly situated in life as to travel in a stage-coach could help being charmed into liking by his wit and awed into complacence by his importance on such a man the native dignity of celestina failed totally of its usual effect he became more and more troublesome for he was piqued but not repressed by the coldness and even contempt of her manner he told her among much other impertinence that all her shyness should not hinder him from finding out who she was and then with yet more offensive familiarity addressed himself to the other young woman who he thought belonged to her and who heard his conversation with terror and dislike as great as that of celestina his behavior at length became insupportingly uneasy to her celestina when the coach reached the village where they were to breakfast determined not to subject herself to it any longer she therefore ordered her tea to be carried into another room and a post-chaise to be ready as soon as she had drank it as she sat at her breakfast she saw the young woman whose countenance had greatly interested her walk to the window slowly and dejectedly one hand held to her forehead and a handkerchief in the other ever ready to assist the unhappy the generous heart of celestina was touched with a compassion towards the forlorn stranger 
she is as young as i am said she and perhaps even more unfortunate why should i not take her with me if she is as i suppose travelling the same road why should i leave her exposed to the insults of this odysseus man which humble as her fortune seems to be she ill knows how to bear i may at least though i cannot otherwise assist her save her from passing the remainder of the journey improperly and unpleasantly celestina then rang the bell and directing her fellow-traveller to be called desired her not only to partake of her breakfast but to accompany her the rest of the way in a post-chaise which she had ordered to escape from mr jedwin the young person notwithstanding the kindness of celestina's address still continued standing and with a faint blush said you are very good madam but though we happen to be in the same coach i am sure i ought not to put myself on a footing with you i am only a servant travelling into the country to my friends to recover my health and it would be very wrong in me to intrude on a lady like you celestina won by this humble simplicity soon reassured her new acquaintance and soon after jessie woodburn which was her name followed celestina to the chaise where having paid the coach in london she now had directed her box to be placed mr jedwin left the hot rolls and chocolate with which he was regaling himself to remonstrate at the chaise door against this succession celestina without giving him any answer drew up the glasses the moment she was seated which gave jedwin an opportunity to say to the postilion who was not yet on horseback that if he would in the course of a fortnight find out who the lady was and whither she went he would make up the half-crown he then gave him a half-guinea the boy readily promised to execute to the best of his power so lucrative a commission and celestina and her companion were soon at a distance and proceeded on their journey much pleased with the exchange they had made of a conveyance End of Volume 1, Chapter 7 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.